This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and Grumpy Old Man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Ruben. <laughs> I don't know why that one cracked me up. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> no, I, I, I felt like it was more serious than I feel. I don't feel serious. You want to try it again? But no, I was, it was okay with it. Okay with it? All I right. don't think I could do it again. Well, Are you well, feeling very serious? Not particularly. It just came out of the family Zoom. You know, we have our... Talking about Thin Mints, I heard. It, yeah, well, you know... Other serious topics. What a coincidence that we discussed Thin Mints, and here we arrived on our podcast, and you're having some Thin Mints. <laughs> I was. And I love them very much. I love those I so much. We had to wait to start recording because I needed to finish chewing. <laughs> I know, but they look good, and now I want to finish the show so I can go get some Thin Mints. Are they in your freezer? Do you put them in your freezer, too? I do, but you know, I had some, I, I kind of put myself on a diet one year and I had already opened the collar, the sleeve of Thin Mints and oh, I just yeah. left them in the freezer for a year. And every day I knew they were there when I was ready oh. for them. And so the symbolic end of that particular sort of diet was eating that rest of those Thin Mints. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the whole sleeve in one sitting. Yeah, by the way, they never go bad. They're always great. I love they are. Things. Especially when you keep them in the freezer. I yes, agree. Yes. So what, and like in last week's show was so, that was so good. That was so fun. Edward was great. I'm so, so glad. So Anne, I don't know for people just tuning in, Anne Kelly from photo, I came by and she brought Edward Bateman and what a delightful zany. I felt like the guy, like he, he was like the professor in back to the future. Did you get that vibe a little bit? <laughs> I think yeah. the word zany, um, like when you think, think of Christopher Walken in that role. Yeah. He's, uh, Christopher, Lloyd. Like, Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Oh, Christopher Lloyd. Thank you. Yes. No, Christopher yes. Walken. Um, I'd be funnier with Christopher Walken. <laughs> Back to the future. It'd be a different movie if it were Christopher Walken. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, yeah, no, I think he, he just had this sort of like, you know, mad scientist genius sort yeah. of thing. I loved, I loved how he actually 3D prints, how he kind of combines this the technology and the analog. It's, I, I it's can't figure. I can't figure out like how much is who he really is, and how much is sort of this persona he's he's adopted, created to be part of the story of going back in time and having mm-hmm. daguerreotypes of scenes that Daguerre had shot, and he's now got like here are the outtakes. Here's a like he's doing it all kind of tongue in cheek, and and so that zany look he looks like he just came out of a time machine. Like, and that's part of his, his, his safety, thing. not guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think like, I mean, you said that I wasn't sure he understood the reference. The maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't that's know. Maybe, true. Maybe not. Maybe he did. I don't know. Um, but that was super, that was really, uh, I guess it's not like you watch like, Oh, what movie you watch on the plane? What movie you watch in time travel? It's sort of just like immediate, I suppose. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. may not be up to, up to speeds and all the, uh, <laughs> all the films. Yeah. And where are you still in New York? I'm not. I'm uh, back in San Francisco. I'm oh, cool. at home. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to like. I guess I've been, I've been writing a lot about everything. You know, mm-hmm. I've been just. I've spent the past month or so seeing if I could sort of figure out what I think about 
you know, all this stuff, photography, can I yeah. actually write it down? Um, one of the essays that I did, which has been sort of picked up and well-received was about uh, Cartier-Bresson's decisive moment. Did you see that one? Did you happen to? I, I actually have don't you, know if you sent that to me, but I will read uh, it that's right possible. after this. It's a laugh riot, I think. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was, you know, everyone, uh, I keep reading things about the decisive moment. It's an expression people use. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of irks me because they tend to use it, I would say, incorrectly. Um, what is the correct way to use it? Well, the, well, I would say the incorrect way is the idea that there is this sort of external event, which is the decisive moment, a moment in something that's happening that's sort of decisive. And your picture of that moment is archetypal for this larger thing. It, it, it has something to do with the quintessence of this moment, right? And I think the way that people... Um, describe that. I mean, that's what it is. If you look, if you Google decisive moment, it will, it's the title of a book and and it uses, and it describes this sort of magical uh, existence. You can, are you Googling it now? I I did already. And Uh, what does it say? What does it say? Uh, Well, the first one I did is just what is meant by the, by the decisive moment. The decisive moment is a concept made popular by street photographer, photojournalist and Magnum co-founder. Henry Cartier-Bresson. The decisive moment refers to capturing an event that is ephemeral or spon- and spontaneous, where the image represents the essence of the event itself. Okay, so that's the way people often use the term, but that isn't what, I went back to the book and I thought, all right, I'm gonna just make sure. It's, it's actually a, a very concise book and it's, the title was changed when it was um, published in English. And what it was in French meant something more like not the decisive moment, but uh, like photography on the run or, you know, photography on the sly. Like hmm. he was really writing about his experiences as, as a photojournalist and what he's doing and that makes his picture sort of different. And he uses the word decisive moment, but that isn't what he was talking about when he uses it, even though that's become the title of the book. Mm-hmm. And what he was talking about is this is, is a moment in photographic composition where all the things in frame, particularly in a moving dynamic world, and you're a kind of a moving subject, you know, a, a photographer, mm-hmm. capturing all the things in the rectangular frame that are just at that sort of magic position, harmonious between each other. It's not about the event per se. It's not a quintessence of the event. It's about my composition through the viewfinder and capturing mm-hmm. That moment, he describes capturing it almost by instinct. You can't really plan it and you miss it often, but you're trying to just get that moment. And if so you it's do- from the photographer, it's like, it's sort of the, the decisive moment is the moment that the photographer is making that decisive decision. It's not, to- no, no, it's not the decision. It's not about the decision. It's about the moment that is captured in the frame. It's, the, it's about the composition of the things in the frame. But isn't the photographer choosing when to uh, take the photo to make uh, that Absolutely, but, but those things are moving. So it's not quite a, a cognitive decision like, oh, I'm going to do this because it, the world is dynamic. But it's still about where everything lands in frame. Mm-hmm. And if they all achieve that harmonious position, it is a decisive moment. And that photo then often can be... Um, quintessential for the the thing that you were shooting, but it's not something you're looking for out there. It's something you do in here when with your camera and you put this rectangular frame around someone. And the reason why that's an an important distinction is that 
when you when people talk about it the other way, they tend to look at the world looking for decisive moments, as opposed to this idea that you can put this rectangle anywhere in the moving world and possibly capture a, a decisive moment. It's about the photographic composition is what he's talking about. And so, so he, but he, uh, interestingly, or to me anyway, interestingly, <laughs> my brother and I got into this sort of discussion about it because the question what came up, is it, is it important what Cartier-Bresson was describing is a sort of instinctual flinch of catching that moment, right? You push the button yeah. and you kind of get it. Um, and the question is, if you if you have a video running or a burst mode, so it isn't really so much about your flinch, you just shot a bunch of stuff and then you find the perfect composition in one of those, does it still count as a decisive moment? It wasn't an instinctual catching of this composition, mm -hmm. but the end of the result is the same. You have a photo that captured that composition. So how much of the real decisive moment is about the composition? How much is about the instinctual catching of that composition? Yeah. And does I mean, it I think in your description, it's, it, it seems like in your description, it would be fair game to have a burst mode to pull a frame you know, from something else because it's it's about the composition. Whereas I guess in, in my interpretation, I'd always thought of it as like the decisive moment was when the photographer was making that, the, the choice, whether it was instinctual, whether it was like they knew what they were gonna get, but they were the one actively hitting the the shutter. And, and, and framing everything because it's more than it. just the timing. It's it's also the the way you frame, framed everything exactly. up. And so it was, I, it felt kind of like the, the moment that they were capturing uh, and that like, the, you know, the right one or like the, maybe the you kind make of the, it the like, ideal is like the, oh, I got like the decisive moment. But it's, but it's not like it had the decisive moment and I caught yeah. it. I made it a decisive moment. I, it's in the capturing that makes it the decisive moment. It's not that I caught mm -hmm. the, a moment out there. I mean, it's a subtle, I mean, I think this is a subtle kind of distinction, but I think it's important because again, I see instructions to people and they're they're sort of looking out there for it. And I think the truth is you can practice doing it all the time, anywhere, and you're not looking for some sort of quintessence. You, mm -hmm. Your picture is quintessence because everything is in this perfect arrangement in the frame. That's the quintessence. It's not the events quintessence. But it sort of does demand like this, it's not like you're, you're capturing a decisive moment of a landscape per se, without the motion of a bird or without the motion of like some other sure. element. Something has to be, static, in, yes, yes. It can't, it can't be, it can't be an image where everything is static. It can't be, it Absolutely. be a fruit that is not moving. I, I'm with you hundred percent. Yes. Okay. That was so more of a it, question. Oh, just, like, oh, it's a great question. Right? Yes. I believe that you can't have a decisive moment if nothing is in motion. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of belies what you're doing. You can actually sort of walk around and carefully compose all your, your pieces of it. And, uh, you know, and again, I would say that that is, uh, you know, I'm going back to where you said, like, I don't think you can use the burst mode to get a decisive moment. I don't know that it's just the end justifies the means or, or maybe I would rephrase that you can, because at the end of the day, you're just, you just look at the picture and decide if you've, you've caught it, but it's, unsp it. it's unsportsmanlike. It's, <laughs> it, it's like going out hunting with the submachine gun. I guess if you're hungry and you need some food, it, it you, you've solved the problem, but if or you're there, is this, 
is it the way that you start as a beginner before before be you become a true sportsman? But then you're not learning how like, to. But then you're not learning how to uh, anticipate and trust your instincts. You're just sort of brute forcing it. And maybe you don't care. Maybe that's a good place to start. But I think that you're not going to learn how to do it if you can keep burst mode at moding or shooting video and finding a frame in there. But then you, I would, I would argue you would because then it, you, at least you know. Oh, am I off on my framing? Am I off? Like, was I just a little too early or was I too a little too late? Like understanding like where mm. kind of like where things may start to fall and understanding, you know, tendencies or physics or whatever it ends mm -hmm, up being. Mm -hmm. I think you learn from being able to actually see where, where it's wrong with as many data points as possible. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I guess if you use it that way, instead of, if you just find it and chuck the things and you don't give it another thought, maybe you're not learning anything from it. Clearly. Yeah. But, but you also might recognize the degree that your position, it's not just the burst mode. You realize right. you, you also have to be standing in the right way, looking in the right way. And maybe exactly. you'll start to get better at positioning yourself as you look at your burst modes, maybe realizing none of them are working that well, or the, the pictures are still too busy or something like that. Yeah. Failure all around, actually. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what was there? Something else. Okay. So, so we were, we we're discussing about that stuff. And then uh -huh. the other thing I've been kind of, I, I, where so, I was wait, thinking. So where did this go from there? Is Danny, is, does Dan, are you and Danny uh, in not in agreement or what is the. Well, I guess like Danny and Louise were uh, actually positioning this to me and I I don't think it was rhetorical. I think we were, but th they wondered how, how well I understood my idea. Like, mm -hmm. okay, they're going to push, push it to the edges and see if it frays somewhere. I think that that's maybe what was going on. He, you know, he was just kind of mm -hmm. messing, messing with me maybe, but, it, but I, I really liked the, the line of thinking. And I, I guess as a purist, I would say that you got to kind of do it manually but maybe it, it really doesn't matter how you get it. If you, if we're all looking for the same thing in the frame, recognizing the, the harmoniousness of these objects. Yeah. I guess maybe it's okay. However you get to it. Mm, I'm going to have to think so about so for, this. Mm. For, I mean, I, I guess I think then, I mean, photojournalism where these are these moments that these unique moments, these unique situations um, that are sort of being captured what are your do you, what are your thoughts on the decisive moment as kind of this art form art term uh, how does that apply i, I think that the, there's no difference it doesn't matter what the subject matter is whether mm -hmm. i'm a war correspondent or walking down the street shooting in my town or taking pictures of my kids at the pool there's always the process of photography is always taking a rectangle of basically and putting it around a scene and and deciding when to save it when everything's in the right spot and and your people's direction is looking around the picture in the right way all, all that stuff i don't think it matters if i'm in a battle but like 90 percent of photojournalism i mean it just it, for me it sort of feels like okay well it's going to be a like a higher a higher percentage are sort of getting it right or like get they're all they're all the, the their pictures are more effective because that's sort of all they're doing. I don't I don't think by virtue of being more, these photojournalists, I mean, I, I think, for instance, the Magnum photographers, that's, mm. um, you know, Cartier-Bresson and Elliot Erwitt and, you know, the, all the all of these people, and they belong to this, Sebastio Salgado, are, own this. They do these decisive moments. Their pictures are both incredibly journalistic and poignant and informing. And... Um, that's what they do. I, I think other there are other photojournalists who just by virtue of the 
uh, importance of the news that they're gathering and sending back the composition, the elegance of the image may or may not be as important, I would say from at least as consistently beautiful. I, I think so many of those Magnum photographers just are really consistently beautiful pictures, no matter what they're taking a picture of. And I, and I think that it's this decisive moment's important for consumers because I think unlike so much photography that you can go out and learn as far as how to be an artist and mm -hmm. do it, reveal your soul in these images and put and and set up these scenes that are telling a story that you want to tell or all, that whole thing most people taking pictures are not doing that they're not trying to do that they're documenting parts of their life and things mm -hmm. they want to remember and and all that kind of stuff and i think that for them they're much more kind of like a photojournalist they're just pulling it out and and so the decisive moment is the one action that they should understand more than, you know, lighting or mm -hmm. more, more than those technical aspects. It's just getting the composition right. So their pictures look nice. They're fun to look at They're They capture these moments of their life nicely and sweetly. And, and in these decisive moments, I think that is the thing for regular people with their phones to learn and, um, and they'll instantly see changes in their photography, you know, how much they enjoy their pictures because they're just that much nicer. Who was the photographer that we interviewed that had like ran after, it was it was like he ran after someone in like Times Square to take a photo. Was that Doug Menuey? It sounds like something he might've done. Or it was, like, it was like a photo of someone with like a balloon or a photo, of, it was like, I mean, I'm trying to remember, um, Photo, I, because it was like his uh, talking to him. It, it was like it felt like that was so much of you know his work was just kind of being ready for it. Um, it oh yeah, he was talking about like, sort of talking his way into things. It might have been Doug. It, certainly, that's a photojournalist attribute of uh, that, that's <laughs> that's really useful. That you know, there's a, a line, and they say no one crosses this, and somehow that guy gets through that line and back in that area. Right. 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 That's it. <laughs> but you don't need to do that with your like in your life. You don't need to have that kind of moxie to get the pictures. You're taking pictures of on your trip to New York and of mm -hmm. of everyone hanging out, and and they can look like mug shots and boring. And you can have technical skills of, so that they're lit nicely. But ultimately, you want to compose them nicely, and even better, you want to catch a kind of a decisive moment in the in the moving world and not interrupt it by saying, "Hey, everyone, I'm going to take a picture." I mean, not that's, interrupted. That's I think that's a really key word for for this uninterrupted. That, and that's what again, that's what his book is about: art, uh, photography on the sly, photography mm -hmm. on the run. It's not about pulling out a camera and telling everyone I'm taking the picture of the group. Gather around, right? Gather around, and he actually has a section in there talking about candid photography. Hmm. How important he says that you know if you pull out the camera at the wrong time people's personality will not be able to be photographed. It will go away. And the importance of, and this is relatively early in the history. So interesting. Isn't that fun? Yeah, no, it's a great. So anyway, I went through his book and I pulled out longer quotes than usually are quoted from him. Mm -hmm. and, and then I kind of reframe what he's saying as mm -hmm. I see it, but I think it's pretty clear in the words. And that's how I, I'm making my case for this. And I think that it's important. 
at some level it's academic, you know, who cares? You know, we, <clears throat> we take the pictures we take, but I think so many people, particularly photo instructors have this wrong idea about the decisive moment such that I don't think it really helps people. I think talking about it as a structure for composition is where it goes in the mm. discussion. Um, some, you know, more like instead of the rule of thirds conversation, you're going to have a decisive moment conversation. And I think that's going to be how you begin to teach photographic composition. That's what I've been thinking about. Awesome. So is that going to be the, <laughs> is that going to be a catalyst for, for the next course? Well, I wondered whether talking about the workshop as photographic haiku you know, it interests some people who have interests in Zen arts of various kinds, mm -hmm. but maybe for a lot of people, that's just not the way they think about it. But if I called the course Cartier-Bresson and the decisive moment, and we look through pictures about that and then are doing, and then it's a composition workshop, I think it will bring a different group to it, even though I don't think the curriculum's radically different. You know, I might mm. downplay some of the, the, the whys, you know, some of the rationale for things and just get to the meat of the matter, like how you compose and how you learn how to do that. But um, I don't know, I might have to experiment with that. That was, so that was one thing. And then the other is this ongoing conversation that I think Danny and I have um, about creative creation. And, I, and it's basically that <clears throat> in so many art forms, there's this way of like think of sculpture, you can build up your creation like clay. You yeah. build it up. You start with nothing and you kind of make a thing or you're a marble sculptor and you start with a big thing and you remove, remove until you've left the essence. Yeah. You might end up with the same shaped object, but you got there in very, very different ways and different kind of mindsets. And I think photography, uh, and Danny likes to point out, this is true in screenwriting and um, has different words for it. I think it was uh, invention and discovery for mm -hmm. him. And it was the same idea that invention is, you know, you just make up a character and come up with a crazy story and, you know, you know and you put it together. And, and discovery is more of what people might call real life with the names changed. You know, oh, I know a guy like that and I'm just going to put them in here. And I know, and I heard. And one so of the things- So it doesn't have anything to do with how the character is like, revealed to the audience it's not like you don't really know much about them and you're trying to piece the things together it's about no no no. this is the creation this is the creation act okay. of the writer or the creation act of the sculptor mm -hmm. how do you think about how you create it you build it up or you or you sculpt it down and i was thinking if i applied that to photography a lot of studio work a lot of the the artistic work that photographers do Sometimes it's like starting with a blank frame, like a canvas, and they think about what goes into the frame. And I would say that the Cartier-Bresson style, the, the pure vision style that I kind of prefer is more like, here's the world out there with a rectangle around it. How do I simplify that? How do I remove things and leave the essence of what I want to say in this kind of picture? And they are different approaches. And a lot of the way I, I like to think about it is that, you know, you use your photographic skills. Those are the chisels to remove the marble to, you know, I will use a shorter depth of field to simplify something. I'll use a dark, I'll darken the scene to simplify it. I'll crop it a different way. Those simplifying is removing stuff that is extraneous to what I'm trying to do. That's 
a skill of a photographer. Here, two people are looking at the same scene, but one person has simplified it to its essence and, and then composed a really nice picture out of those pieces, as opposed to, I put them all there. And you know, the really interesting exercise is like, if you started to bring this to life, if you started with marble, and then the second assignment was to recreate it with clay. So what I mean by that is obviously a metaphor, but like you, <laughs> you took an image that you you had to then um, really work on key, on simplifying, keeping it clean and or whatever whatever your editing process was, but to give it let it be like the true like the the, the focusing in on like the message or what you wanted it to be about, removing all this extraneous stuff, mm-hmm. and then the second part of the assignment would be to actually sort of recreate that, but from this, like from the other side, like how would you, and it doesn't have to look at all the same. It doesn't have to be the same materials or anything, but just how does it have the same sort of essence that hmm. you are creating? Um, uh, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think one of the things that um, that sort of Danny pointed out to me in the writing is that mm-hmm. regardless of the approach you take, you end up doing both you end up at the same kind of thing. You might think about it differently, but they arrive. The truth is all of them are a fabrication. You think that, oh, it's just reality with the names changed, but but of course, you know, that's not exactly what it is. You've changed many things that are important and maybe you made some up and maybe you remembered it wrong. Um, it, It really isn't that different from thinking you just made it up out of whole cloth. And it's like, well, of course you saw that on a billboard that you were driving down the street and it made you think of this thing. So it's not out of thin air, everything comes from somewhere. So at some level, the two things aren't really as different as they sound. Now, I'm not sure I totally get this. Maybe that works in screenwriting, but I, like in sculpture, there's no putting back something as you chip away the marble. Um, <laughs> you, you can't cut more. You can only cut less. <laughs> but maybe in photography, it is a little. I mean, bit you can writing. you can't cut less. You can only cut more. <laughs> That's right. Well, it makes me very nervous. The idea of marble sculpt, like that, you. Uh, it's just, just pressure. impressive. Like yeah, there's yeah. literally there's no take backs. There's no mistakes. No command Z. No only go forward. No command Z. I hate that. That's very. That's upsetting to me. It is. It is one of those things in life. Yeah, I'm like, I can only have command Z. How many times did you (laughs) use that? So uh, so I was looking at. I posted a picture today on my Instagram, and it was something I remembered uh, walking the streets. I don't know where I was in San Francisco, but noticing all of the really strange wires in this one particular neighborhood, and they're all Mm -hmm. over. But there's something distinctly. Um, neuroanatomy like they really look like uh, axons and dendrites and 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 I was playing around with it and uh, Harry Callahan the great Harry Callahan has some work that's interesting with wires and stuff like that mm-hmm. but um, so, so you know I had that in my mind but I was trying my own take on it and I played around and it reminded me that even in as a photographer there's these kind of two ways in my head of being a photographer and one way is to explore an idea visually, you know, to just mm-hmm. put yourself, maybe you have access to, you know, I don't know, you climb the top of a mountain or you're interested, for me, it's cracks. I'm always taking pictures of cracks in the mm-hmm. ground and stuff like that. Here was a bunch of explorations of wire and all the different ways I could do it. Um, that's a thing. That's what like art photographers, fine art photographers kind of do a lot of, which is explore something deeply and visually. And that's not like most of my pictures on my Instagram, most people's camera phone pictures 
Right. They're not, they're not exploring something deeply. They're taking a picture of the dog playing in the field. That's different. Well, but, I mean, I think it depends on whose feed you're looking at. Like if you do, if you are following like photographers, like you're well, getting yeah, a real photographer, but most yeah. of us with cameras are not thinking of photography as this, um, I've been shooting ducks for 50 years. Now, some people do. The hobbyists might might want yeah. to find the thing that they want to explore, but that's not the way most people use their smartphones and take pictures of things. So I, I was interested in separating, at least for me, the photography I do that is that kind of exploration. And then the other kind of photography, which is a little more like Cartier-Bresson, which is a little more of just seeing the world around me as it is. And making those kinds of comments about things. I'm, I'm not exploring something deeply, visually. Mm-hmm. I'm catching a moment that's fleeting. That's a different kind of work. I don't know, and I thought it might, I, I don't know what people with their smartphones, do they aspire to like learn about becoming a fine art photographer and find the thing that they wanna do, find their style, or do they just wanna take nicer pictures of their friends and of their vacations and, and, and so, yeah, you can, the cameras make it harder to take a lousy picture, but I really want to lean on this composition mm-hmm. and, and decisive moment sorts of work. I think that will make people very happy. It's, I think it's yeah. easy to, to. Well, do. I think there's something to, uh, again, just when you are photographing friends or, you know, just like people, I mean, I guess maybe animals a little less so, but like your, <laughs> what were you saying? Your, your duck or your dog. Um, but the, were you saying photographing 50 years of ducks <laughs> or your dog <laughs> on Instagram? Um, yeah. Okay. But uh, I mean, I, I think that there's definitely something of like finding those moments. And I think we've talked about this on a pre on a previous episode, but just part of it is almost just getting comfortable holding your camera there long enough and just mm-hmm. kind of like waiting, like kind of like, I think what, you said mm-hmm. Cartier-Bresson said is like, when you take out your camera, it changes people's personality. Like it disappears. And I think yeah. there's something true to that. It's sort of like, you need to like, you need to forget about it. You need to let it go. You need to like stop acting weird. And then it's like people relax. And then you get these moments of like their real personality shining through. You get these, yeah. these things. And it also, you know, I guess maybe even just getting the practice of like, like what if, <laughs> what if there was something, you know, like the old brownies, or the, those cameras that you would look down, like what if you could, there was a lens that went on an iPhone that allowed you to actually have like a little brownie. So you could, it's not, you're just kind of holding up the camera, but it allows you to sort of look down and see it and get those pictures and find them and frame them and hmm. be like capture it. I'm thinking about this thing. So you want to put a thing on your, when you say brownie, what do you think? Are you thinking of like looking down at the- It'd be a the, mirror. Effectively, it, it, I, I mean, I can even think of how to design it. It would be like a little flap that would kind of go over the, the face that could like slide out, like have little hinges. Oh, it folds out down. 45 degree angle. So you look down to see forward. That's what Correct. you're talking about, that feature? Yeah. So if you're holding the, sure. you're holding the sure. phone open and it's just sort of like, you're kind of holding it maybe on your lap. That's how they used to shoot. They would hide that they'd hang the cameras around their neck and open their jacket a little bit. So it's peeking out and then they could look down and people that's didn't know That's what I'm saying. Like I yeah, have an yeah. old camera like that, that oh, like you look down and that's sure. why it would be, it. maybe this is our million dollar idea. I think it's a Roloflex, um, by the way. It's not a brownie. That's a Roloflex. I, I oh, it think, is? I think. Okay. Um, I, I don't- Tell I, me, this- Is that a brownie? It says, it actually says a, no, you're right. It's a dual flex. Right. 
all right. That's okay. Flex. You're right. Okay. No, that's cool. I love those. Yeah. I had a Rolleiflex and it's that idea where you hang it around your neck, you look down yeah. at it and sneak a picture and they didn't usually notice you were doing it. Mm-hmm. And you're right. That would be a very cool thing to do with your iPhone. It's better than remember our idea of the, the hood that pulled out oh, yeah, of that's the right. po- sock right. pocket or the pocket. Not exactly subtle. <laughs> no. And it pulled over your head. So your screen was in the dark with you. Okay. So that didn't catch on, but <laughs> this, I think this is the, <laughs> this is the secret one. This is the future. Yeah. This is our big product We're I know we made it. But I, I mean, I am actually, I am, I'm sincere. Like I think that no, that's cool. No, I'm not being facetious. I'm not teasing you in any way. I think that's <laughs> super cool. I think it's cool. It might be just cool for you and me or a few handful right. of people, but it's a what a cool little thing to snap onto your phone and exactly like it could you literally drop just your phone. flip around. Yeah, or slide your phone into it and it's got a like the angled mirror thing. Yeah, that's I guess I uh, I think some prototypes might be in order. I, I think would be interesting fun. is like that the idea that you always have it with you because the thing is like if I have to pack it or bring it, it sort of defeats the point from it being an iPhone element. Like I used to have these like lenses, yeah, attach, and I was like, I don't want to carry those. Like they don't fit my pocket. And how is this different from that? Isn't this also kind of another thing to carry when you basically don't want to be carrying a bunch of stuff? Well, that's what I was saying is like, I don't think it can be this thing you slip it into. I think oh. it has to be this something you flip around. I don't think you need it to be a full, maybe a mirror of the whole screen. I think that you could get an idea of the part of it. And so it could be something that maybe flips around. That- I want to see my whole screen. I, think. I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't think I could. Well, Things fold look, too. So okay, I would say well, this is a flip great, around and open. Well, we can talk idea. design later. I don't think we should tell anyone about it. I think. Oh, it's, shit. Yeah, <laughs> we think we screwed up already. First rule of business is don't describe your product on your podcast <laughs> before, your, before you've done anything. So ixnay on the audit prey. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we've got a little bit of editing to do. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's point it out. It was good. To, I was good to see you and um, let's pull in some guests. We'll get back to our regularly scheduled entertainment. Sounds absolutely lovely. <laughs> let's do it. Let's wrap it up. All right. Well, our show is recorded and produced in San Francisco and Santa Fe. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos, and post comments. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. And please leave reviews and ratings, especially if you like us. We get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word. If you know someone who might get something from us, send them a link. Thank you to Mitchell Foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out with us. We appreciate your attention and we hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.